Our gospel lesson today comes from the gospel according to John, chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. We were lost, but I felt deliriously happy. We woke up in the morning at Cinque Terre, one of the five villages on the Italian coast. Then we set out on a very long day of travel, including two sets of rental cars, two sets of trains, and a set of handwritten directions to our destination in Tuscany. The final direction on the hand-scrawled note was, turn at the large curved tree. You have no idea how many trees are curved in Tuscany. Now, we were the second car in a two-car caravan, and I could sense that our friends in car one were growing ever more frustrated with how hopelessly lost we were. The sun would soon set, and everyone was hungry, and we might not ever find that precise one curved tree where we were to turn. Our cell phones and our GPS didn't work well in rural Italy. Finally, we stopped. Our friend came up to our window. He was hot and mad, but I simply laughed. Look, I said, did you look? Did you look out the window? Have you ever seen wheat fields that beautiful in your life? I mean, we were on this narrow road between miles and miles of rolling hillsides where the wheat literally shimmered in the setting sun like the breadbasket of the world. He said, we're lost. I said, I, I know, but look how beautiful it is. I mean, have you ever seen anything more beautiful in your life? Well, I thought of those particular wheat fields when I read today's scripture. Unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus uses a metaphor about grain 
to show his followers that death is the way to life, that loss is the way to gain. The image was as close to them as I was to the wheat fields of Tuscany that day. I mean, they were agrarian people. Drive across Kansas and you will see those amber waves of grain. Drive across Missouri and you will witness the miracle of nature. The seed must die in the ground, lose its husk, break open and bear new life. But my heart begins to seize up when I read this verse of scripture. Death on the way to life? I got to tell you, it does not have instant appeal. It seems counterintuitive. I feel immediately protective of my own life. And the last thing I would ever want to preach is some suggestion that to suffer is to live a better life. But the image of losing life to gain it echoes too many times on the pages of scripture for me to simply ignore it. Mark chapter 8 says, those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake or for the sake of the gospel will save it. The gospel according to Matthew in chapter 16 claims that Jesus summoned them to follow him saying, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. A version of this teaching appears at least three more places in the Christian gospel writings and repeats also in Paul's letters. And, and even other wisdom teachers from this period of ancient history give a similar advice. For, for example, there is a, a Jewish sage named Bensira, and he taught about life, and he offered this advice about the proper behavior that one should exercise at a banquet. He said, if they make you the master of the feast, do not exalt yourself. Be among them as one of their no number. Take care of them first and then sit down. Does the fullness of life come only after we lose something precious about life? In today's gospel reading from John, we hear the final address that Jesus gives to a public audience prior to his death. Of all the wise teachings he gave us, this one appears to be key. But why? Why does Jesus tell us that the grain of wheat must die before it will bear much fruit? Is Jesus trying to interpret his own death before it happens? that somehow it will be his death that allows him to draw all people to God and create an abundant harvest of faithful people? Or is Jesus talking to us about our lives, that somehow we are called to lose our lives to gain them? If Jesus was teaching the class on a life worth living, is this the place where Jesus teaches us to have a fruitful life by following the path of service. I remember the first time I ever preached this particular text. I was in my early 20s, still a graduate student, and I was invited to preach during Holy Week for a women's event at my home church in Texas. 
And I remember being in my room at home in Texas in mom and dad's house and puzzling over this fact about how a plant must die in order to bear fruit. And both of my parents were avid gardeners and both of them had grown up in agricultural communities. And so I went out of my room and I found them and I asked them, explain this thing to me about a seed dying before it bears fruit. And I remember my mom confirming the science of a seed. But what I wish my mom had said was something a little different. Because I realize now that I had no idea what this metaphor meant. I wish my mom had reminded me that when she was in high school and she was nominated to be on the homecoming court, that she had to have a special dress for the occasion. And her mom, a farm wife and a mother of 12 kids, went out and took an extra job picking cotton to earn money to buy fabric for that dress. And then my mom took the fabric and sewed the dress. I wish my mom had reminded me that Granny never saw that as sacrifice or as suffering. Granny saw that as love. And Granny couldn't have imagined doing anything else. And it bore much fruit for my mother. But maybe when I was 23, even if mom had told it to me that way, I couldn't have understood it. But now that I'm a stepmother and a mother and a grandmother, it makes so much sense to me. Dying to self doesn't seem like a sacrifice when you love someone. Still, how do we hear the message about a grain of wheat dying without somehow glorifying self-harm? I mean, we all know it, that over the years, too many victims have been told, just deal with it. Too many battered spouses have been told to make a sacrifice and try again. But that is not what Jesus means. The New Testament scholar Gerard Sloyan writes that human helplessness and humiliation is not the key to God's glory. God does not require a weak creature. I think what Jesus is saying with this metaphor is not that we are called to suffer, but rather we are called to choose a new way of life. Thomas Merton said, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top of the ladder, it's leaning against the wrong wall. Lent reminds us then to step back and to ask, is our ladder leaning against the wrong wall? Are we living a life worth living? How might the life of Jesus show us that way, the way that bears fruit? I remember a couple of months ago, several months ago now, long before anyone had been vaccinated with Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson, but already we were reading that this vaccine had been invented. And not just that it was manufactured yet or mass distributed yet, none of that had happened yet. It was still in something they were calling clinical trial. But during that period, I read about this couple in Europe. Both of them were research scientists and they had worked together and invented this vaccine for COVID. 
the article said that the two of them would soon be fabulously wealthy. But the two of them were still taking their bikes and train to work. They relied on mass transit because they owned no car. And the article described how the two of them loved working as research scientists. They took the morning off on the day that they married one another, but then that afternoon they went back to the lab to work. This, I thought, was someone who knows how to offer himself or herself in love for the fruit of all creation, for the thriving of humanity. How do you develop that kind of life? Those of us who are Christian, we look at Jesus, not because we will ever be able to model ourselves after him and become like God, but because Jesus became human and showed us a new way to be human. We have a choice to protect our lives and end up with no life at all, or to give ourselves away in love and gain an abundance beyond measure. Barbara Brown Taylor describes how Jesus might have responded if he had wanted to protect his own life. Instead of going to Jerusalem for Passover, he could have hidden out in another village or gone underground, taking refuge in a different location each night. He could have toned down his message or found better ways to phrase his radical message, you know, soften it a bit. He could have stopped hanging out with the outcast and eating with the sinners and welcoming the outsiders. He could have loved his life and saved it. But he loved something more than his own life. He loved God. He chose truth. He gave himself in love. As one author puts it, Jesus flipped the script about what it means to live a good life. What looked like death became the very road to life. How can you and I find that kind of life? Krista Tippett interviewed Rabbi Ariel Berger on her podcast back in mid-February. The rabbi told a story. The rabbi's son spent a semester studying abroad in Israel and the son and his classmates traveled for a 10-day school trip to Poland where they visited various historic sites, key places in Jewish life before the war broke out, and they also visited the concentration camps. One day, one of the students on the field trip disappeared. He was gone all day, and when he got back, he wouldn't tell anyone where he had been. But finally, the student shared with the rabbi's son he said, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. They married three weeks before they were both interred at Auschwitz. At the camps, the men and the women were separated, living and working in separate quarters. But every day, my grandfather and my grandmother, they met at the fence. And often my grandfather would bring a piece of bread to share with my grandmother so that she would be taken care of, so that she would have a little extra to eat. And sometimes he had no bread, but they would just look at each other. But one day, when he went to the fence, she wasn't there. She had been sent to work at a rabbit farm 
where they were doing experiments on rabbits. They were researching these rabbits, trying to find a cure for typhus. The Polish man, the owner of the rabbit farm, quickly realized that the rabbits were being fed better than the Jews who were working there as helpers in the rabbit farm. And so the Polish farmer would try to sneak extra food to the Jewish workers. One day, said the boy, my grandmother, she cut her arm on a piece of barbed wire and it, it became infected. And it really would have been a simple infection to cure with antibiotics, but they would never give antibiotics to a Jew. And so the owner of the rabbit farm cut his own arm and he held up his wound to my grandmother's wound so that he would become infected. And then he went to the Nazis and said, this rabbit farm is very successful. It's key to your research and you would be suffering if I were to die. I, I need to get some antibiotics. And then he shared the antibiotics with my grandmother and she lived. The owner of the rabbit farm He's still alive here in Poland. Today, I went to see him so I could say thank you. Thank you for my life. And after the rabbi told this story, he said, what does it take to be the kind of person who will share another person's wound?